Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the promises of a new day that we're reminded in your word. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. And I thank you that you are faithful to us this morning, that you've been ready to go from eternity past, that you don't need coffee to get cranked up or uh, an encouraging word, but you stay on point because you're God. And I really like that this morning, Father. I like the fact that, that we worship a God who is always in control, who is constantly loving us, who is making provision for us to, uh, to live well each day. And that provision came through the cross. I pray, Father, that we live today effectively in a manner worthy of our calling that you, before the foundations of the earth, set in motion. So we give ourselves to you that you stir our spirits, you quicken our hearts that we might see your word and be changed men, changed for eternity, be more like our Savior. We pray in his name. Amen. Come on in, fellas. You see, they stop at the doors when they're when you're praying. It's respectful. All right, we have a couple of chapters this week uh, in every every verse. They had great stuff in it. The, the, the challenge we have before us as we uh, take this volume of material is, which things do we you know, settle in on and focus on and, and take apart, take, take things home with us, take uh, things to our heart? Because I will offer to you that if we had another eight, nine weeks of summit, we could do all date nine weeks uh, in any one chapter of all the material we've covered. I think that's evident to you probably as you spend time uh, getting into it. You, because there, there are days you probably don't want to leave a word or a phrase or a sentence. And I hope that is the case. Because that tells me and should tell you that the Word of God is becoming real to you. And not only becoming real to you, becoming absolutely essential to your well-being as you desire and, and seek out to follow Christ. The word is so rich and so, so powerful that every word is carefully given to us by the Holy Spirit and it's God-breathed. So therefore, it's understandable that you would want to sit on a word or a phrase or a verse or even a paragraph and then to cover this much material as a uh, it should be stimulating, and it, some, in some degree, should be frustrating to you if you're trying to take it all in. Uh, this week, these two chapters, there were just a number of issues that I saw that I wanted to, that I've been calling the big idea, that, we, that I could take apart and set aside and uh, make, make it my example for the week as to kind of what I wanted to point out. Some of those big ideas this week, are huge. They're the types of stuff that Todd could do a do series series on, uh, and he's done, you know, and he has in some regard to some of these things. The first one, uh, big issue in Ephesians six, I called the treatment of parents. That we could spend a whole volume of time together in passages of scripture and, that, and what it means to have what is what does that relationship look like with our parents? And I am going to come back and visit that one in a second. Another one of the big ideas is this exhortation to dad. Uh, I label it. That's one of those things that Blake said. Label things to help you remember the sections. Well, I was going through and almost labeling verses this time with all the material. This whole Ephesians 6, 4, this deal about dads provoking children, 
that warrants us slowing down. That, that warrants us focusing and not just breezing by that. So I'm going to come back to that for a second in a minute, too. There's a great section in there of the three or four verses about employer-employee relationships and how it is that a believer in Christ should conduct himself both as an employee as an, and also as an employer. Again, a whole series that we could bring all the Scripture to bear, not only this passage, but all the things that God says about that relationship. And I promise you, men, we could spend one of our whole seasons, a spring or fall, just on that one subject. And perhaps we will one day as we continue to look at different things as God leads us to, to spend time together as men. Another great deal is the, that whole spiritual war. It is one of the classic uh, passages, particularly in the New Testament. There are a couple of great ones in the Old Testament that talk about the spiritual war that goes on and how God has prepared us to fight in a war that is not flesh and blood. Great stuff, but the time that goes into that is well, well worth it. But we're not going to do that one this morning. And then when you go into Philippians, it talks about priority living and how you prioritize that which we should be about because that is what God is about, is making us like His Son and that He is committed to finishing that. Instead of Ephesians, uh, Philippians 1.6, that God is going to just finish His work. But to this morning, in our few minutes together, before we go to our groups, I want to kind of capture a couple of these ideas and just show you what I do with it. We've been talking about, uh, when you read the Scriptures, there's, I have this burning passion, men, to move you past the idea that you read a chapter or two, or a paragraph or two, and then you check the box and say, great, spent time with God today. And somehow you, you put that mental check in your system and you're ready to move on. My desire is to, to show you how to, to sit down and be intimate with God. To have real conversations where you're hearing Him speak to you through His Word. And then your prayer in return is a conversation where you're inviting and enlisting God to change you. To make you an impactor. And I don't think you do that just by doing your quick little reading and saying, okay, I've covered it. I've done my quiet time or I've done my time with God. What you've been hearing from Blake and what you've been hearing from me is that we want you to approach this, the time in that great, great life-changing book in a way like it's water, like it's your very sustenance to life. And so my, the takeaway I want you to get this morning from what I'm going to show you is this, when anytime you go to the Scriptures, I want you to be able to, when you're through with it, I want you to have an understanding of God's perspective on the issue. Whatever you're reading about, when you're through reading it, you need to stop to go, okay, what is God saying about this? What is God saying about parenting? What is God saying about being an employer or an employee? What is God saying about a spiritual life? What is God saying about... Walking in a manner worthy of our calling. Know his perspective. And then when you go from his perspective, after you understand, get your hands around what, what the issue is, then you need to create an action point for yourself. What am I supposed to do with this? What difference does this make? Don't read God's word and then, it's, and then just walk away like we do after we've looked in a mirror and go, ah, that'll work. And we walk away and we forget what we look like. 
A lot of people read the scriptures that way. They, they look at and they see God tells us to do something and they just walk away and they forget all about it. Well, man, we, don't, we want to be transformed by the word. So when you read the scriptures, you want to say, what, what action do you want out of me from here, Lord? Is there a sin to confess? Is there an action to take? Is there somebody I need to call or courage? Is, is there something here, Lord, that you want me to respond to? And men, I'm telling you, there's always something to respond to. That's why if you're through with reading, spending time in the Word, you should be going, there's something here to be done. There's something here to be considered. There's something here to be meditated on. And then the last thing I said, there's, there's just three points. Every time you go to the Scripture, we've given you all these six C's and all that kind of stuff, but there are three things. You've got to know what God said. You've got to know how to respond to it. And then I say, file it away. I'm big on this deal, and it comes in the form of two ways. One is memorizing Scripture so that you have it for yourself, primarily, that you've hidden, your word of, hidden the Word of God in your heart, that you might not sin against. best defense we have about priority living, about holy living, is that we memorize Scripture. But when I say file it away, I'm talking about knowing what Ephesians 6 says. There's not a man in this room that, that should not walk out these doors, it, it, this morning, and not know that that's where they go to to find issues on family, on employees, on spiritual war. You should know, anybody ever mentioned and brought up the topic, you should be able to go to, oh, that's Ephesians 6. Anybody ever mentions marriage, you should be able to go, Ephesians 5. Anybody talks about the Christian life, you should be able to go, Ephesians 4. Anybody ever talks about where God, you know, what role God has in our salvation, is it by chance, whatever, or is he intimately involved in you becoming a believer? You go, Ephesians 1. You should know this stuff, guys. We want you to know this. It's your anchor. But if you're going to be Christ's hands and feet, there are people out there that need these truths. And you need to know them. That's part of the discipline of being a warrior. You need to know how to use your weapons. And it is our weapon. It's our sword. So those are the three things I, when you're through with Scripture, you've got to know what God said, you've got to know what God wants of you, and you need to know, you need to file it away where you can always get it. Let me give you an example of one of these topics and what I did, what I do in my time uh, when I spend in the Scriptures. That first one, honoring your parents. I think this is a good one because this, we've heard this so many times, we race over that thing. So fast, and we're down to the we're down on to the next verses. Give me something I haven't heard. Give me something new. And so we race right by this. But I offer to you this morning that when you read this part, which is found originally in Exodus, which is then found again in uh, the book of Deuteronomy, in a little group of verses that were given that we call the Ten Commandments, that this is a big deal. And the fact that Paul would bring it up again in the New Testament means it's even a bigger, bigger deal because he had double emphasis. He made it clear that, it's, well, nobody can ever tell you, no, that was an Old Testament concept. No. It's one of God's concepts. So I ask a few questions here on, on this honor file. I go, what does honor mean? What does it mean to honor somebody? Secondly, I go, what did it look like 2,000 years ago when Paul was telling them to honor their mother and father? And then I, because when I answer that one, then I can say, okay, what does that look like today? What does it look like to you and me to honor our parents? If we're fortunate to still have them around, 
What does it mean to honor them? And the third thing I ask that passage is, well, what's the consequence if you choose not to honor your parents? Is there a downside? Is there an upside? So when you ask these questions, then you go, okay, that's worth looking into. That's worth peeling this baby back. So you do, well, how do you peel it back? This is where we've been going with your six C's. This is where we're going to teach you, trying to teach you the exercise to find the truth. Well, I kind of put it this way. I said, well, first of all, what do we learn from the context? Answer these questions from the context. In other words, what does the scripture right there say about this? What does it say to honor? And then I asked the questions. So well, what do we find in other scripture passages about honoring parents? I go to other scripture areas to say, okay, what, what does that look like then? Where can I find other verses that add to that very theme so that I can put together my, all, my, or all of God's collective thoughts on this idea of honoring? And then I go, after that, I go to outside sources. So let's look at the context of this honoring. There are three things here that points out why it's a, that this passage tells us about honoring mothers and fathers. First, he says it's the right thing to do. Well, what does it tell us? What does it mean when God says it's the right thing to do? When God tells us the right thing to do, then you, you, what we know to be true is that it is by God's design. It's God's design, and because that's God's design, it means it's what his perfect will is. It's part of his plan that we should, as children, obey parents, and as grown-ups, that we honor them. The responsibility doesn't go away when you get married to quit honoring your parents. The roles change. The obligations to follow their instructions on a day-to-day basis change. But the commandment to honor them never changes. God says right here, it's the right thing to do. A couple other things this passage tells us. It also says it's the first commandment with a promise. So I want to go find out what the promise is. So I go to Exodus 20 and I go to Deuteronomy 5. And I go see where, he, where God gave it to the Israelites. And I see this idea of a promise. This idea of a promise is you honor your mother and father, and it's the first because that your days might be well, and that they might be long. And what he's talking about, what God was telling Israel, is that the family unit is the key to society. It is the element in society structure. If the family stays together the way God designed it, then the society will be healthy. If the society fails to hold the family together in the way that God designed, then the society will crumble. Amazing, isn't it? Now we look at our world and some of the issues that we have been dealing with that are hot off the press at 10 o'clock last night, the issues that are being voted over for and against, and whether we can take what God has given us in the marriage arrangement from Scripture and rearrange it in society and somehow think our society is going to be better, is a, may I offer to you, is a pretty big faux pas. But yet that's where the world's going. And we wonder why things are coming dismantled in our own United States, our, our society, because we are losing the family. All this stuff comes together. And you go back to this verse going, honor your father and mother. And you go, wow, all of that out of that little verse. No, all of that out of God's Word. Continue on with my illustration here. So I go to other uh, 
that the passage is necessary. So we know that it's key to the family structure. What are the other scriptures? Well, 1 Timothy 5, 4. Did I put, did I put that one up there? I did not. Forgive me. So write these down. That's 1 Timothy 5, 4. It's another passage where Paul is writing that helps us clarify what it means to honor our mother and father. And it says, for, for widows are to be taken care of by their family. That that's the way that you honor your mother. The idea of the unit. Of, then you go to the outside text and I start reading on all this. And the truth of the matter is, this is not a big stretch for you to understand that 2,000 years ago, the way the economy was set up is that the family took care of itself. There was no government plan. There was no uh, retirement. They, you know, when you quit growing your crops, you quit, you quit eating. And you quit making desks or tables or whatever it is that you made. You quit eating. So when you were unable to, to continue to do that, as a child, you would take and you would provide for your family. You would honor them. Pretty interesting deal. So God was keeping taking care of the family from the day he put it down here in the Garden of Eden. He made provisions and gave directions and now we take care of each other. And part of that whole deal is honoring your mother and father. That does raise questions. Well, what if my parents aren't worth honoring? Wow. This is this begins into the, some touchy stuff. This is where we get into the action point. And I go, okay, if you lay out all that stuff I did very briefly... Then we move it to the last point. Says, so, well, what difference does it make to me? What are the action points? And I go, well, what am I doing, or what should I be doing to honor my parents? And for many of you, that that's a natural flow. They, you've had good relationships, or you've had tolerable relationships, and they've reached a point, and they're self-sufficient, or whatever. Maybe they're not self-sufficient, but there still is a place in your life where you honor your parents. And if you're unclear of that, then I go to point two, which I think is always real good. And point two, I say, he says, what perspective can my spouse or my community give to help me honor my parents? What am I missing? Again, this is we, we're always going back to this little thing, aren't we? How God continues to speak to us through the community of people that are for us, who wrestle with God's word and can see things in our own lives that many times we can't see ourselves. But there should be a strategy as we go through life that we continue to honor parents. And some, you're right, maybe have not done a great job in earning it. God doesn't say that. I couldn't find that anywhere. You know, I couldn't find it anywhere. Unless they're dishonorable, or unless they didn't do a good job, or unless they didn't send you to college, or they, they divorced, or they, you know, there's, I couldn't find any of those exceptions, guys. So therefore, we have to wrestle with it, what it means to give them their due, to give them the respect for either their role or the part that they played in your life. The word honor here is the same word, Pime, that is used when you and I stand before Jesus. And if we've done a good job of living faithfully, and that's an interesting thing to get into too, what that looks like, he says that we are, that he gives us his honor. He gives us our due, that which is that is natural, that it has been part of the the earning process, if you will, or the the faithful process of fulfilling our role. God has given us a role to do. He says we're for faithful in that. That He gives us honor. The very same word. Love to do with you know. That's why I said we did this with three words. 
this is what I say, is there for your taking. This, the Scriptures drip great truths, life-changing stuff, challenging stuff, stuff that makes us like Christ. Let me give you one more quick example, which is the, uh, uh, we call it, that's what I called the second one, a, a demonstration. That whole idea of fathers uh, not provoking your children to anger. The word is, uh, uh, it's, doesn't make any difference. It's, it's a great word, which means to absolutely wear out your children. To wear out your children emotionally. To drain their patience so that their patience turns to anger. And in verse 4 says, dads, don't exasperate your children. But, it gives them a contrast. Well, this idea of exasperating is a big, important deal. Because this, if, if Paul is just hitting the highlights of relationships and how critical they are, and that if he's going to hit, oh, about, about parenting, here's, here's the one I want you to remember. Don't provoke your children to anger. But rather with instruction and discipline, raise them in the Lord. Moves on to the next one. About slaves and employees and employers. He hits the highlight. But if he's going to say one thing in this passage, in this letter to the Ephesians, he's saying, guys, don't wear out your kids. I go, huh, must be pretty stinking important. Don't exasperate. Don't provoke. This is a great word. I'm going to combine some of these distances. We're about out of time. Taking you through that same process I did with honor. I ask the questions, then I go back and I go say, what does the scripture at that passage tell me? Then I expand the scripture to say, what else does it bring? And then I bring in action points and outside resources. And I want to remember this. Because though I am just about my daughter, my, my baby turns 21 today. I guess that means that my children, but we get, maybe God will give us grandchildren I plan on being in the lives of a lot of my friends and, uh, that I do life with, and I'm going to encourage my buddies that, that when they have six kids and Cox with five and all these other guys that I'm doing life with, that they don't exasperate their children, that they don't provoke them. And you go, okay, I got the point. We're not supposed to tick off our kids. What does that mean? Tell me what I'm doing that provokes my children, and I'll stop doing it. This verse tells us that. He says, the word but... Uh, Blake hit on this earlier, and I can't say it enough. When you see a, a word like but in the Scriptures, it represents a contrast. It's kind of saying one thing, and it, it sets it up or juxtapositions it against uh, something else. And he says, don't provoke. Instead of provoking, give them instruction and discipline. Well, then what we can easily deduct from that, deduce from that, is that if you don't give them instruction and you don't give them, di- them discipline, you will, in fact, make them angry. Now, isn't that an interesting perspective of God? To tell them if we raise children and we fail to give them the proper discipline and that we fail to give them the proper instruction, that we will anger our children. How is that possible? How is that possible? I thought if you don't, you know, if you don't put the boot on their neck and you don't, you don't ride them, you don't tell them what they can do, you let them make their own decisions, they'll love you for it. And evidently, from God's design, that's not the case. Because the most frustrating and angry kids we see today are kids that were not parented well. Because there is a direct correlation between the anger of a teenager and the discipline and the love of a parent. 
It's pretty interesting. Why? Discipline to children. And God has told us again. He tells us not to spare the rod. We go, oh, that sounds so brutal. No, it shows them where the boundaries are. And there's no safety like boundaries. So when he says discipline your children, that's what he's talking about. Show them their boundaries. Show them they're loved. Because if they don't know where their boundaries are, they live very insecurely. They try a lot of different things. They want to know where the line is so that there's safety on that side. And if nobody ever shows them these lines, men, then they grow up angry. I offer to you all the, all the families that are raised without any male leadership. Both the men that are home and men that are not home. I'm saying no male leadership. You have people grow up being very angry, saying, where are the lines? This idea of an absence of instruction. You know, the big dad's God-given role to direct them through life. The greatest responsibility Todd has, Blake has, John has, and our other staff that I go through this, is not you and me. We're important to them, trust me. But the most important mission Todd, Blake, and the guys I mentioned have are their children. Absolutely, their children. I mean, that's what we say. If our staff don't have healthy marriages and healthy children, then this is, this is secondary. This is show. That's how important this is to God. To make money, to build a career, to do whatever, to have stuff at the expense of not having children rise up and say, that's my dad. One of the coolest things that happened to, uh, and some of you are aware that in the last couple of weeks I've had the chance or the opportunity to be involved in a tragedy in my own family. My brother-in-law died in a terrible accident. But the, with the great things that are coming out of this, though, here's four kids. Because though they're grieving greatly that their dad is gone, he was 52 years old. A godly man. He's with Jesus. His plan. But, you know, they are moving forward saying God is good. And my father loved me. My, you know, they have got a legacy that they move forward. Because it wasn't about how many years that Rob got to be here. It was what he did with the years. And as a father, he invested well in his kids. He was a doctor. Uh, he was he served on school boards. He was heavily involved in his church. But he was first, they had a great marriage. 27 years of marriage and he still chased my sister around. Like they were dating. And the kids saw that and they, and they got such a charge out how much their dad loved their mother. And then they, and the other part is they just were adamantly Positive, unequivocally to the point they had to get up at a funeral and say it. Their dad loved them. And they go, man, that's a life well lived. But you see, that's what these scriptures are saying. And when he uses it as a high point, there's a reason it's a high point. It's important. And therefore, it should be important to you and me. You go through all this stuff, I go, well, the last thing I do with that particular verse, I go, what are the consequences if I ignore God's counsel and directives? This is low-hanging fruit. This was an easy one to do that question. What, what difference does it make if I choose to be a good dad or not? Well, I'll just offer you three real quick. First of all, you'll have confused and disillusioned children. And I use Luke 7.31 for that. 
That F up there is, is some of my code, and I didn't get that clear when I sent the verses. I mean, and those verses follow. And this is the, this is the story where the kids are in the neighborhood, and they're going, "Wow, well, how do I compare this generation? It's a generation that sees one thing, and here's another. And they get very confused. It's that dad that talks about how important Jesus is and then lives like the rest of the world. And so the kids grow up going, what? What is this noise about Jesus? If they don't see it in your life, you're going to have confused children. And confused children are angry children. So that's one of the problems by, by ignoring God's counsel. Third, second one is you have an angry heavenly father. I use that Matthew 6. 18.6 passage. What I'm talking about there, that's, it. that's the passage that says it's better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and tossed in the, in the river than to keep one of these little ones from coming to me. God's serious about us getting in the way of his message to children. And let me tell you, there's nobody gets in the way like a dad. On the same token, there's nobody that shows the way like a dad. So I think it's a great responsibility and we are culpable to our Heavenly Father. For doing a good job. That comes out of this one little verse. Third thing there I'd offer you to you is the 1 Corinthians 3 passage. Where there's a judgment of God. He says, whatever you build on, you're going to answer for. And one day we'll stand before Christ. And he said, I gave you children. How'd you steward them? What message did you send? How did you send them off? How did you prepare them to live in a fallen, broken world? Did you prepare them with a biblical worldview? Or did you let the world conform and push them into their own image? How'd you do there is the judgment of God. And I don't totally understand all that, guys. I've got to be honest with you. You know, the more I read on that, the, the, the more I, my hands ring. At the same time, I read the scriptures as saying, you know, there's a lot of grace when we stand before Christ. That's what the cross was about. But I think we can all agree that the scriptures are clear. We answer. We answer to the, the stewardship of our lives. And so, may I encourage you this morning, be good stewards. Be good stewards of those children. Be good stewards of that spouse. Be good stewards of the people that God has put you in your workplace with. Be good stewards of your life. Most of all, be good stewards of this word. Let me pray. Father, thanks for time this morning with the men. I pray that you will stir their hearts, that they might continue to take ground in areas like their marriage, like areas like being a parent, like being an employee or an employer. God, make us into your men. Make us not grow faint, but finish the race strong. Thank you in Christ. Amen.